When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and the Beasts of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Chapters 5 and 6. And now, Chapter 5, Mugambi. By the time that Tarzan had traveled entirely about the coast of the island and made several trips inland from various points, he was sure that he was the only human being upon it. Nowhere had he found any sign that men had stopped even temporarily upon this shore, though, of course, he knew that so quickly does though of course he knew that so quickly does the rank vegetation of the tropics erase all but the most permanent of human monuments that he might be an error of his, that he might still be an error of his deductions the day following the killing of numa tarzan and chita came upon the tribe of akut at sight of the panther the great apes took to flight but after a time tarzan succeeded in recalling them it had occurred to him that it would be at least an interesting experiment to attempt to reconcile these hereditary enemies. He welcomed anything that would occupy his time and his mind beyond the filling of his belly and the gloomy thoughts to which he fell prey the moment that he became idle. To communicate his plan to the apes was not a particularly difficult matter, though their narrow and limited vocabulary was strained in the effort, but to impress upon the little, wicked brain of Sheeta that he was to hunt with and not for his legitimate prey proved a task almost beyond the powers of the ape-man. Tarzan, among his other weapons, possessed a long, stout cudgel, and after fastening his rope about the panther's neck, he used this instrument freely upon the snarling beast, endeavoring in this way to impress upon its memory that it must not attack the great, shaggy, man-like creatures that had approached more closely once they had seen the purpose of the rope about Sheeta's neck. That the cat did not turn and rend Tarzan is something of a miracle which may possibly be accounted for by the fact that twice when it turned growling upon the ape-man he had wrapped it sharply upon its sensitive nose, inculcating its mind thereby a most wholesome fear of the cudgel and the ape-beast behind it. It is a question if the original cause of his attachment for Tarzan was still at all clear in the mind of the panther, though doubtless some subconscious suggestion, superinduced by this primary reason, and aided and abetted by the habit of the past few days, did much to compel the beast to tolerate treatment at his hands that would have sent it at the throat of any other creature. Then, too, there was the compelling force of the man-mind exerting its powerful influence over this creature of a lower order, and, after all, it may have been this that proved the most potent factor in Tarzan's supremacy over Sheeta and the other beasts of the jungle that had from time to time fallen under his domination. Be that as it may, for days the man, the panther, and the great apes roamed their savage haunts side by side, making their kills together and sharing them with one another, and of all the fierce and savage band none was more terrible than the smooth-skinned, powerful beast that had been but a few short months before a familiar figure in many a London drawing-room. Sometimes the beasts separated to follow their own inclinations for an hour or a day, 
and it was upon one of these occasions when the ape-man had wandered through the treetops toward the beach, and was stretched in the hot sun upon the sand, that from the low summit of a nearby promontory a pair of keen eyes discovered him. For a moment the owner of the eyes looked in astonishment at the figure of the savage white man basking in the rays of that hot, tropic sun. Then he turned, making a sign to someone behind him. Presently another pair of eyes were looking down upon the ape-man, and then another, and another, until a full score of hideously trapped, savage warriors were lying upon their bellies along the crest of the ridge, watching the white-skinned stranger. They were downwind from Tarzan, and so their scent was not carried to him, and as his back was turned half toward them, he did not see their cautious advance over the edge of the promontory, and down through the rank grass toward the sandy beach where he lay. Big fellows they were, all of them, their barbaric headdresses and grotesquely painted faces, together with their many metal ornaments and gorgeously colored feathers, aiding to their wild, fierce appearance. Once at the foot of the ridge, they came cautiously to their feet, and, bent half-double, advanced silently upon the unconscious white man, their heavy war-clubs swinging menacingly in their brawny hands. The mental suffering that Tarzan's sorrowful thoughts induced had the effect of numbing his keen, perceptive faculties, so that the advancing savages were almost upon him before he became aware that he was no longer alone upon the beach. So quickly, though, were his mind and muscles wont to react in unison to the slightest alarm that he was upon his feet and facing his enemies, even as he realized that something was behind him. As he sprang to his feet, the warriors leaped toward him with raised clubs and savage yells, but the foremost went down to sudden death beneath the long, stout stick of the ape-man, and then the lithe, sinewy figure was among them, striking right and left with a fury, power, and precision that brought panic to the ranks of the natives. For a moment they withdrew, those that were left of them, and consulted together at a short distance from the ape-man, who stood with folded arms, a half-smile upon his handsome face, watching them. Presently they advanced upon him once more, this time wielding their heavy war-spears. They were between Tarzan and the jungle, in a little semicircle that closed in upon him as they advanced. There seemed to the ape-man but a slight chance to escape the final charge when all the great spears should be hurled simultaneously at him, but if he had desired to escape, there was no way other than through the ranks of the savages except the open sea behind him. His predicament was indeed most serious when an idea occurred to him that altered his smile to a broad grin. The warriors were still some little distance away, advancing slowly, making, after the manner of their kind, a frightful din with their savage yells and the pounding of their naked feet upon the ground as they leaped up and down in a fantastic war dance. Then it was that the ape-man lifted his voice in a series of wild, weird screams that brought the natives to a sudden, perplexed halt. They looked at one another questioningly, for here was a sound so hideous that their own frightful din faded into insignificance beside it. No human throat could have formed those bestial notes, they were sure, and yet with their own eyes they had seen this white man open his mouth to pour forth his awful cry. But only for a moment they hesitated, and then with one accord they again took up their fantastic advance upon their prey. But even then a sudden crashing in the jungle behind them brought them once more to a halt, and as they turned to look in the direction of this new noise, there broke upon their startled visions a sight that may well have frozen the blood of braver men than the Wangambi. Leaping from the tangled vegetation of the jungle's rim came a huge panther with blazing eyes and bared fangs, and in his wake a score of mighty, shaggy apes lumbering rapidly toward them, half erect upon their short, bowed legs, and with their long arms reaching to the ground, where their horny knuckles bore the weight of their ponderous bodies as they lurched from side to side in their grotesque advance. 
the beasts of Tarzan had come in answer to his call. Before the Wagambi could recover from their astonishment, the frightful horde was upon them from one side, and Tarzan and the apes from the other. Heavy spears were hurled and mighty war clubs wielded, and though apes went down never to rise, so too went down the men of Ugambi. Sheeta's cruel fangs and tearing talons ripped and tore at their hides. Akut's mighty yellow tusks found the jugular of more than one sleek tin savage, and Tarzan of the apes was here and there and everywhere, urging on his fierce allies and taking a heavy toll with his long, slim knife. In a moment the Ugambi had scattered for their lives, but of the score that crept down the grassy sides of the promontory, only a single warrior managed to escape the horde that had overwhelmed his people. This one was Mugambi, chief of the Wagambi of Ugambi, and as he disappeared in the tangled luxuriousness of the rank growth upon the ridge's summit, only the keen eyes of the ape-man saw direction of his flight. Leaving his pack to eat their fill upon the flesh of their victims, flesh that he could not touch, Tarzan of the apes pursued the single survivor of the bloody fray. Just beyond the ridge he came within sight of the fleeing native, making with headlong leaps for a long war canoe that was drawn well up upon the beach above the high tide's surf. Noiseless as the fellow's shadow, the ape-man raced after the terror-stricken native. In the white man's mind was a new plan, awakened by sight of the war canoe. If these men had come to his island from another, or from the mainland, why not utilize their craft to make his way to the country from which they had come? Evidently it was an inhabited country, and no doubt had occasional intercourse with the mainland, if it were not itself upon the continent of Africa. A heavy hand fell upon the shoulder of the escaping Mugambi before he was aware that he was being pursued, and as he turned to do battle with his assailant, giant fingers closed about his wrist, and he was hurled to earth with a giant astride him before he could strike a blow in his own defense. In the language of the West Coast, Tarzan spoke to the prostrate man beneath him. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'Mugambi, chief of the Wagambi,' replied the native. "'I will spare your life,' said Tarzan, "'if you will promise to help me leave this island.' "'What do you answer?' "'I will help you,' replied Mugambi. "'But now that you have killed all my warriors, "'I do not know that even I can leave your country, "'for there will be none to wield the paddles, "'and without paddlers we cannot cross the water.' Tarzan rose and allowed his prisoner to come to his feet. The fellow was a magnificent specimen of manhood, a black counterpart in physique of the splendid white man whom he faced. "'Come,' said the ape-man, and started back in the direction from which they could hear the snarling and growling of the feasting pack. Mugambi drew back. "'They will kill us,' he said. "'I think not,' replied Tarzan. "'They are mine.' Still the native hesitated, fearful of the consequences of approaching the terrible creatures that were dining upon the bodies of his warriors. But Tarzan forced him to accompany him, and presently the two emerged from the jungle in full view of the grisly spectacle upon the beach." At the sight of the men, the beast looked up with menacing growls, but Tarzan strode in among them, dragging the trembling Wagambi with him. As he had taught the apes to accept Sheeta, so he taught them to adopt Mugambi as well, and much more easily, but Sheeta seemed quite unable to understand that though he had been called upon to devour Mugambi's warriors, he was not to be allowed to proceed after the same fashion with Mugambi. However, being well filled, he contented himself with walking round the terror-stricken savage, emitting low, "'menacing growls the while he kept his flaming, baleful eyes riveted upon the native. "'Mugambi, on his part, clung closely to Tarzan, "'so that the ape-man could scarce control his laughter "'at the pitiable condition to which the chief's fear had reduced him. "'But at length Tarzan took the great cat by the scruff of the neck "'and, dragging it quite close to the Mugambi, "'slapped it sharply upon the nose each time that it growled at the stranger. 
at the sight of the thing, a man mauling with his bare hands one of the most relentless and fierce of the jungle carnivores, Mugambi's eyes bulged from their sockets, and from entertaining a sullen respect for the giant white man who had made him prisoner, the native felt an almost worshipping awe of Tarzan. The education of Sheeta progressed so well that in a short time Mugambi ceased to be the object of his hungry attention, and the warrior chief felt a degree more of safety in his society. To say that Mugambi was entirely happy or at ease in his new environment would not be to adhere strictly to the truth. His eyes were constantly rolling apprehensively from side to side, as now one and now another of the fierce pack chanced to wander near him, so that for most of the time it was principally the whites that showed. The next few days Tarzan devoted to the weaving of a bark-cloth sail with which to equip the canoe, for he despaired of being able to teach the apes to wield the paddles, though he did manage to get several of them to embark in the frail craft which he and Mugambi paddled about inside the reef where the water was quite smooth. During these trips he had placed paddles in their hands, when they attempted to imitate the movements of him and Mugambi, but so difficult is it for them long to concentrate upon a thing that he soon saw that it would require weeks of patient training before they would be able to make any effective use of these new implements, if, in fact, they ever should do so. There was one exception, however, and he was Akut. Almost from the first he showed interest in this new sport that revealed a much higher plane of intelligence than that attained by any of his tribe. He seemed to grasp the purpose of the paddles, and when Tarzan saw that this was so, he took much pains to explain in the meager language of the anthropoid how they might be used to the best advantage. From Mugambi, Tarzan learned that the mainland lay but a short distance from the island. It seemed that the Wagambi warriors had ventured too far out in their frail craft, and when caught by a heavy tide and a high wind from offshore, they had been driven out of sight of land. After paddling for a whole night, thinking that they were headed for home, they had seen this land at sunrise, and still taking it for their homeland, had hailed it with joy. Nor had Mugambi been aware that it was an island until Tarzan had told him that this was the fact. The Wagambi chief was quite dubious as to the sail, for he had never seen such a contrivance used. His country lay far up the broad Ugambi River, and this was the first occasion that any of his people had found their way to the ocean. Tarzan, however, was confident that with a good west wind he could navigate the little craft to the mainland. At any rate, he decided, it would be preferable to perish on the way than to remain indefinitely upon this evidently uncharted island to which no ships might ever be expected to come. And so it was that when the first fair wind rose he embarked upon his cruise, and with him he took as strange and fearsome a crew as ever sailed under a savage master. Mugambi and Akut went with him, and Sheeta, the panther, and a dozen great males of the tribe of Akut. We'll return with Chapter 6, right after these sponsor messages. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now Chapter 6, 
a hideous crew. The war canoe, with its savage load, moved slowly toward the break in the reef through which it must pass to gain the open sea. Tarzan, Mugambi, and Akut wielded the paddles, for the shore kept the west wind from the little sail. Sheeta crouched in the bow at the ape-man's feet, for it had seemed best to Tarzan always to keep the wicked beast as far from the other members of the party as possible, since it would require little or no provocation to send him at the throat of anyone other than Tarzan, whom he evidently now looked upon as his master. In the stern was Mugambi, and just in front of him squatted Akut, while between Akut and Tarzan the twelve hairy apes sat upon their haunches, blinking dubiously this way and that, and now and then turning their eyes longingly back towards shore. All went well until the canoe had passed beyond the reef. Here the breeze struck the sail, sending the rude craft lunging among the waves that ran higher and higher as they drew away from the shore. With the tossing of the boat the apes became panic-stricken. They first moved uneasily about, and then commenced grumbling and whining. With difficulty Akut kept them in hand for a time, but when a particularly large wave struck the dugout simultaneously with a little squall of wind, their terror broke all bounds, and, leaping to their feet, they all but overturned the boat before Akut and Tarzan together could quiet them. At last calm was restored, and eventually the apes became accustomed to the strange antics of their craft, after which no more trouble was experienced with them. The trip was uneventful, the wind held, and after ten hours' steady sailing the black shadows of the coast loomed close before the straining eyes of the ape-man in the bow. It was far too dark to distinguish whether they had approached close to the mouth of the Ugambi or not, so Tarzan ran into the surf at the closest point to await the dawn. The dugout turned broadside the instant that his nose touched the sand, and immediately it rolled over, with all its crew scrambling madly for the shore. The next breaker rolled him over and over, but eventually they all succeeded in crawling to safety, and in a moment more their ungainly craft had been washed up beside them. The balance of the night the apes sat huddled close to one another for warmth, while Mugami built a fire close to them over which he crouched. Tarzan and Sheeta, however, were of a different mind, for neither of them feared the jungle night, and the insistent craving of their hunger sent them off into the Stygian blackness of the forest in search of prey. Side by side they walked when there was room for two abreast, at other times in single file, first one and then the other in advance. It was Tarzan who first caught the scent of meat, a bull buffalo, and presently the two came stealthily upon the sleeping beast in the midst of a dense jungle of reeds close to a river. Closer and closer they crept toward the unsuspecting beast, Sheeta upon his right side and Tarzan upon his left nearest the great heart. They had hunted together now for some time, so that they worked in unison, with only low, purring sounds as signals. For a moment they lay quite silent near their prey, and then at a sign from the ape-man Sheeta sprang upon the great back, burying his strong teeth in the bull's neck. Instantly the brute sprang to his feet with a bellow of pain and rage, and at the same instant Tarzan rushed in upon his left side with the stone knife, striking repeatedly behind the shoulder. One of the ape-man's hands clutched the thick mane, and as the bull raced madly through the reeds the thing striking at his life was dragged beside him. Sheeta but clung tenaciously to his hold upon the neck and back, biting deep in an effort to reach the spine. For several hundred yards the bellowing bull carried his two savage antagonists, until at last the blade found his heart, when with a final bellow that was half-scream he plunged headlong to earth. Then Tarzan and Sheeta feasted to repletion. After the meal the two curled up together in a thicket, the man's black head willowed upon the tawny side of the panther. Shortly after dawn they awoke and ate again, and then returned to the beach that Tarzan might lead the balance of the pack to the kill. 
When the meal was done, the brutes were for curling up to sleep, so Tarzan and Mugambi set off in search of the Ugambi River. They had proceeded scarce a hundred yards when they came suddenly upon a broad stream, which the native instantly recognized as that down which he and his warriors had paddled to the sea upon their ill-starred expedition. The two now followed the stream down to the ocean, finding that it emptied into a bay not over a mile from the point upon the beach at which the canoe had been thrown the night before. Tarzan was much elated by the discovery, as he knew that in the vicinity of a large watercourse he should find natives, and from some of these he had little doubt that he should obtain news of Rokoff and the child, for he felt reasonably certain that the Russian would rid himself of the baby as quickly as possible after having disposed of Tarzan. He and Mugambi now righted and launched the dugout, though it was a most difficult feat in the face of the surf which rolled continuously in upon the beach. But at last they were successful, and soon after were paddling up the coast toward the mouth of the Ugambi. Here they experienced considerable difficulty in making an entrance against the combined current and ebb tide, but by taking advantage of eddies close into shore, they came about dusk to a point nearby opposite the spot where they had left the pack asleep. Making the craft fast to an overhanging bough, the two made their way into the jungle, presently coming upon some of the apes feeding upon fruit a little beyond the reeds where the buffalo had fallen. Sheeta was not anywhere to be seen, nor did he return that night, so that Tarzan came to believe that he had wandered away in search of his own kind. Early the next morning the ape-man led his band down to the river, and as he walked he gave vent to a series of shrill cries. Presently from a great distance, and faintly, there came an answering scream, and an hour later the lithe form of Sheeta bounded into view where the others of the pack were clambering gingerly into the canoe. The great beast, with arched back and purring like a contented tabby, rubbed his sides against the ape-man, and then at a word from the latter sprang lightly to his former place in the bow of the dugout. When all were in place it was discovered that two of the apes of Akut were missing, and though both the king ape and Tarzan called to them for the better part of an hour, there was no response, and finally the boat put off without them. As it happened that the two missing ones were the very same who had evinced the least desire to accompany the expedition from the island, and had suffered the most from fright during the voyage, Tarzan was quite sure that they had absented themselves purposely rather than again enter the canoe. As the party were putting in for the shore shortly after noon to search for food, a slender, naked savage watched them for a moment from behind the dense screen of verdure which lined the river's bank. Then he melted away upstream before any of those in the canoe discovered him. Like a deer, he bounded along the narrow trail until, filled with the excitement of his news, he burst into a native village several miles above the point at which Tarzan and his pack had stopped to hunt. "'Another white man is coming!' he cried to the chief, who squatted before the entrance to a circular hut. "'Another white man, and with him are many warriors. They come in a great war canoe to kill and rob, as did the black-bearded one who has just left us.' Kaviri leaped to his feet. He had but recently had a taste of the white man's medicine, and his savage heart was filled with bitterness and hate. In another moment the rumble of the war drums rose from the village, calling in the hunters from the forest and the tillers from the fields. Seven war canoes were launched and manned by paint-daubed, befeathered warriors. Long spears bristled from the rude battleships as they slid noiselessly over the bosom of the water, propelled by giant muscles rolling beneath glistening, ebony hides. There was no beating of tom-toms now, nor blare of native horn, for Kaviri was a crafty warrior, and it was in his mind to take no chances if they could be avoided. He would swoop noiselessly down with his seven canoes upon the single one of the white man, and before the guns of the latter could inflict much damage upon his people, he would have overwhelmed the enemy by force of numbers. 
Kaviri's own canoe went in advance of the others, a short distance, and as it rounded a sharp bend in the river where the swift current bore it rapidly on its way, it came suddenly upon the thing that Kaviri sought. So close were the two canoes to one another that the native had only a second to note the white face in the bow of the oncoming craft before the two touched and his own men were upon their feet, yelling like mad devils and thrusting their long spears at the occupants of the other canoe. But a moment later, when Kaviri was able to realize the nature of the crew that manned the white man's dugout, he would have given all the beads and iron wire that he possessed to have been safely within his distant village. Scarcely had the two craft come together than the frightful apes of Akud rose, growling and barking from the bottom of the canoe, and with long, hairy arms far outstretched, grasped the menacing spears from the hands of Kaviri's warriors. The natives were overcome with terror, but there was nothing to do other than to fight. Now came the other war canoes rapidly down upon the two craft. Their occupants were eager to join the battle, for they thought that their foes were white men and their native porters. They swarmed about Tarzan's craft, but when they saw the nature of the enemy, all but one turned and paddled swiftly upriver. That one came too close to the ape-man's craft before its occupants realized that their fellows were pitted against demons instead of men. As it touched, Tarzan spoke a few low words to Sheeta and Akut, so that before the attacking warriors could draw away, there sprang upon them with a blood-freezing scream a huge panther, and into the other end of their canoe clambered a great ape. At one end the panther wrought fearful havoc with his mighty talons and long, sharp fangs, while Akut at the other buried his yellow canines in the necks of those who came within his reach, hurling the terror-stricken natives overboard as he made his way toward the center of the canoe. Kaviri was so busily engaged with the demons that had entered his own craft that he could offer no assistance to his warriors in the other. A giant of a white devil had wrested his spear from him as though he, the mighty Kaviri, had been but a newborn babe. Hairy monsters were overcoming his fighting men, and a black chieftain like himself was fighting shoulder to shoulder with the hideous pack that opposed him. Kaviri battled bravely against his antagonist, for he felt the death that already claimed him, and so the least that he could do would be to sell his life as dearly as possible. But it was soon evident that his best was quite futile when pitted against the superhuman brawn and agility of the creature that at last found his throat and bent him back into the bottom of the canoe. Presently Kaviri's head began to whirl. Objects became confused and dim before his eyes. There was a great pain in his chest as he struggled for the breath of life that the thing upon him was shutting off forever and then he lost consciousness. When he opened his eyes once more, he found, much to his surprise, that he was not dead. He lay, securely bound, in the bottom of his own canoe. A great panther sat upon its haunches, looking down upon him. Kaviri shuddered and closed his eyes again, waiting for the ferocious creature to spring upon him and put him out of his misery of terror. After a moment, no rending fangs having buried themselves in his trembling body, he again ventured to open his eyes. Beyond the panther kneeled the white giant who had overcome him. The man was wielding a paddle, while directly behind him, Kaviri saw some of his own warriors similarly engaged. Back of them again squatted several of the hairy apes. Tarzan, seeing that the chief had regained consciousness, addressed him. "'Your warriors tell me that you are the chief of a numerous people, and that your name is Kaviri,' he said. "'Yes,' replied the native. "'Why did you attack me? I came in peace.' "'Another white man came in peace three months ago,' replied Kaviri, "'and after we had brought him presents of a goat and cassava and milk, "'he set upon us with his guns and killed many of my people, "'and then went on his way, taking all of our goats "'and many of our own young men and women.' "'I am not as this other white man,' replied Tarzan. "'I would not have harmed you had you not set upon me. 
"'Tell me, what was the face of this bad white man's like? "'I am searching for one who has wronged me. "'Possibly this may be the one.' "'He was a man with a bad face, "'covered with a great black beard, "'and he was very, very wicked. "'Yes, very wicked indeed.' "'Was there a little white child with him?' asked Tarzan, his heart almost stopping as he awaited the native's answer. "'No, Buana,' replied Kaviri. "'The white child was not with this man's party. It was with the other party.' "'Other party?' exclaimed Tarzan. "'What other party?' "'With the party that the very bad white man was pursuing. There was a white man, woman, and the child, with six Mozula porters. They passed up the river three days ahead of the very bad white man.' "'I think that they were running away from him.' "'A white man, woman, and child.' "'Tarzan was puzzled. "'The child must be his little Jack. "'But who could the woman be? "'And the man? "'Was it possible that one of Rokoff's confederates "'had conspired with some woman "'who had accompanied the Russian "'to steal the baby from him? "'If this was the case, "'they had doubtless purpose "'returning the child to civilization, "'and there either claiming a reward "'or holding the little prisoner for ransom.' "'but now that Rokoff had succeeded in chasing them far inland, "'up the Savage River, "'there could be little doubt that he would eventually overhaul them, "'unless, as was still more probable, "'they should be captured and killed by the very cannibals "'farther up the Ugambi, "'to whom, Tarzan was now convinced, "'it had been Rokoff's intention to deliver the baby. "'As he talked to Kabiri, "'the canoes had been moving steadily upriver toward the chief's village. "'Kabiri's warriors plied the paddles in the three canoes,' "'casting sidelong, terrified glances at their hideous passengers. Three of the apes of Akut had been killed in the encounter, "'but there were, with Akut, eight of the frightful beasts remaining, "'and there was Sheeta, the panther, and Tarzan, and Mugambi. "'Kaviri's warriors thought that they had never seen "'so terrible a crew in all their lives. "'Momentarily they expected to be pounced upon "'and torn asunder by some of their captors, "'and, in fact, it was all that Tarzan and Mugambi and Akut "'could do to keep the snarling, ill-natured brutes from snapping at the glistening, naked bodies that brushed against them now and then with the movements of the paddlers, whose very fear added incitement to the beasts. At Kaviri's camp, Tarzan paused only long enough to eat the food that the natives had furnished, and arranged with the chief for a dozen men to man the paddles of his canoe. Kaviri was only too glad to comply with any demands that the ape-man might make if only such a compliance would hasten the departure of the horrid pack. But it was easier, he discovered, to promise men than to furnish them, for when his people learned his intentions, those that had not already fled into the jungle proceeded to do so without loss of time, so that when Kaviri turned to point out those who were to accompany Tarzan, he discovered that he was the only member of his tribe left within the village. Tarzan could not repress a smile. "'They do not seem anxious to accompany us,' he said. "'But just remain quietly here, Kaviri, and presently you shall see your people flocking to your side.' Then the ape-man rose, and, calling his pack about him, "'commanded that Mugambi remain with Kaviri, "'and disappeared in the jungle "'with Sheeta and the apes at his heels. "'For half an hour the silence of the grim forest "'was broken only by the ordinary sounds "'of the teeming life that but adds to its lowering lowliness. "'Kaviri and Mugambi sat alone in the palisaded village, waiting. "'Presently from a great distance came a hideous sound. "'Mugambi recognized the weird challenge of the ape-man.' Immediately from different points of the compass rose a horrid semicircle of similar shrieks and screams, punctuated now and again by the blood-curdling cry of a hungry panther. Join us next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Chapters 7 and 8 of The Beasts of Tarzan, book number three in the Tarzan series from Edgar Rice Burroughs. Hope you're enjoying our story, 
Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.'